Hey, it's Greg Brady. Thanks for checking out the Toronto Today podcast. We are busy. It's a big day of announcements. Not great things, but maybe, just maybe, there's positivity with some of the news out of South Africa regarding Omicron. We will get to some of that. Uh, it's going to be a big wave. It's going to hit us. we got to face reality. There's none of this fantasy panacea stuff about eradicating an endemic virus. And on and on and on. I could go on. I guess I do later in the podcast. That's the whole uh, point. Uh, pharmacologist Sabina Vohra-Miller will join us. Uh, we'll talk to a mom that had a Twitter thread, Just Go Eat Electric, uh, yesterday. Uh, a concerned mom about schools. And can't blame her one bit. Uh, we talk about some of the pragmatic possibilities for what could and certainly should, as opposed to shouldn't, happen. Toronto Today for December 15th begins right now. Let me start here. I'm going to get to boosters in uh, in a quick minute or two. But yes, we have uh, travel restrictions potentially for uh, the border. I, I'm lost. I'm lost on this one. I'm not telling you that the time is now to let it rip. There will be a let it rip time. It isn't now and we don't know enough yet. I'll give you that 100%. I've heard people say to me before, Greg, you know what? COVID is over when we decide it's over. I would say that that's more accurate than I thought it was a couple months ago. Think about what you think of that. And the fact that you might exist outside a little bit of an echo chamber, right? And that's what, that's what social media is. We, we understand that, right? Things just echo around in there. You're following like-minded people. Many people have pointed out that um, like right of center, uh, social media sites won't work parlor right won't work a uh you know why because they don't want to yell with each other they want to yell at someone and we're not getting too far from that with sites like twitter it's great for news content no doubt about it so is covid over when we decide it's over to me closing the border for non-essential travel is not valid right now. If you think that's going to stop the spread of this virus, have you done reading about Omicron? Have you Googled it? Have you heard this show? Well, I know you have. You're listening right now. So you can debate about what's going to happen with the severity. You can debate what's going to happen with hospitalizations. To me, there is zero justification for emergency measures, heavy-handed policy, when the risks have become manageable. We have individual choices that we have to make. We have ripped ourselves to shreds talking about this mandate and that mandate. Here's the fight we lose when we lay this down today. The plea to consider vaccination. We lose that. We've been trying so hard. So many people have put in so many hours, efforts, uh, constant begging, pleading, clinics here, there, everywhere impassioned pleas to consider getting vaccinated to be safer. There's no doubt about it that the vaccination gives you a wall of protection. The booster will do the same. That battle gets lost today if you are on route to lock people down. We have to talk more about therapeutics that matter, that help. Dr. Zane Chagla has been on our show many times, and we've talked about uh, orals that will help you handle COVID better. We will turn this into the flu. People are looking at Omicron and saying, I wonder if it could be the flu for vaccinated and, yes, healthy people. 
We have to take measures to protect ourselves. Of course we do. I'm on the phone last night with my mom. She's 76 and we're talking about Christmas. And I can't, I can't tell her to feel a certain way the same way she can't tell me to feel a certain way. She's read the articles, the comments. Now and then she listens to the show. Um, but I can't tell her to feel any more safe than she's willing to feel. I can't, you, I can't tell you that COVID's still happening if you've decided it's over. I can't. And I won't. We've talked before about the doctors that we put on this particular show. I think we've shaved down the list to put people on who I can trust to serve the public interest and frightening people isn't in the public interest and scaring people isn't in the public interest. And the people that have been so wrong so often, especially in the last seven months, doesn't matter if it's about Delta or what would happen when, when Blue Jays games came back or what would happen when schools open. I, I, I can't. There's no justification for it anymore. We had a doctor on named uh, Dr. Jeff Kwong on uh, three weeks ago. Okay. And I asked him the question, where do you feel safer in a room? And this is way before Omicron. It's important to point that out. I said, where do you feel safer in a room with 30 vaccinated, fully vaccinated people with no masks on or a room of 30 people who have masks, but they're all unvaccinated. You got to spend a couple hours circulating in the room. And maybe he knows the answer and didn't say. I'd like to think that's not the case, but he didn't know. And I, I pressed and I asked him again because he had a comment in a uh, Toronto Star article. At this point, the mask is as important as the vaccine. That's not true. That's not true at all. Nobody would think that. And when you can't get the messaging straight, I, I'm not sure what service I'm doing to you, the listener. We have given doctors so many good ones it's like anything else okay good cops bad cops great teachers mediocre substandard teachers okay uh, everything in life at great university i've had great university professors some pretty piss poor ones we have given given up so much so much and i don't like using words like freedom and liberty why they they were co-opted ages ago by the by the far right my liberties, my freedoms, this and that. But there does come a point where we ask about measures and there is an element of pushback. I'm not saying we can let it rip right now, but my thought about where this is at, and I'm devastated, devastated that we're reacting as we're reacting right now. Maybe you can tell. Um, the pandemic has become endemic. What else is there to say? Isn't it important? I hear so many people ask a couple of people last night, people I really, really respect that do uh, come on the show and they'll continue to do so. Epidemiologists, infectious disease specialists uh, who aren't into the aren't into the fear and and uh, and and, you know, scary sentences. They're not Dr. Colin Furness, who's going to call you a dillweed because you want to take your kids out for breakfast on a Saturday. Like, honestly, we got far away. You know who is critical of of the personal shame and blame early on? People that leaned more left of the conservative government. When Dr. David Williams would talk about personal behavior, many of those people said, how dare he? You need to enact government policy that protects us. You need to do this and do that and make schools safe. And you need to make workplaces safe and provide paid sick days. And a lot of that is true. Schools have succeeded in spite of themselves at times. 
You know that this is true. All summer long, people are hysterical. Unsafe September. This is going to be a hellscape. Things have gone really well until we decided to turn on ourselves and feed the fear and buy into the fear. I've been using the phrase self-fulfilling prophecy a lot. I should probably be fined if I use it more than three or four freaking times a show. So I said to these uh, doctors last night as I'm messaging them getting ready for this show. You want you want the government to say COVID is airborne. You want that. You want that really badly. A lot of people want them to say COVID is airborne. I've wanted that for a long, long time because I've believed it since about last summer. You listen to smart people. You interview smart people. You seek out podcasts. You, you know, y- you play it as up the middle as you can. It's all I can do. So, I, And I really owe it to you, the audience, to do that. But isn't saying COVID is endemic now as important as saying COVID is airborne? Couldn't I make the case that for you to go about your lives and say COVID is endemic, it's here, it sucks with a capital S at the front of the word and an S at the end of the word. Put a few more S's at the end if you like. Is anyone in a position of authority of public health or politics going to say this, that this is here. If you're making people think that a border closure is going to slow the spread of, 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 of Omicron, you, but people will think that. People, are we trying to go Omicron zero? Are we really doing this? There aren't those restrictions in the UK. The UK said, guess what? It's here already. It's going to spread like wildfire. Let's protect our most vulnerable people. Let's boost the bejabbers out of them. And that's the, that's the spotlight I can turn on the provincial government and say, you absolutely should do that. Here's the case I'd make uh, about Omicron and boosters. This is what I'm hearing, okay? Because we're all exhausted. We're all fatigued. All of this is true. And you know I've talked about exit ramps before. It's getting really ugly not having an exit strategy. Vaccines, those are the potential exit. Apparently not. I think they work to protect you. They certainly do not work to protect the spread. They don't. They work to protect. Understand what I'm saying. This isn't some anti-vax BS. I've done the reading. No one's going to have done more reading than me on this. No one's going to have talked to smarter people. No one. The vaccines work to protect you phenomenally. They do not do what we thought they would. Not because of ill intent, not because of bad messaging. They do not work to prevent you from transmitting the virus. Many people have said that for a long time. They were right. I hate that that's true, but it's true. Are we going to say that COVID's endemic? Are we going to say that the vaccines protect you and you alone? I mean, what other, what other way is there to look at this now? What other potential way is there to look at this? Here's the booster thought. A lot of people want to go 18 plus here. Maybe the province announces later today that they're going 18 plus. That's a big mistake. A big mistake. Why? Because people will fall through the cracks. You're creating doubt. We can't have doubt about what the vaccines do for you and the more vulnerable people. I'm on the phone with my 76-year-old mom last night who smoked for 40 years. Uh, We even had the biggest fight we ever had was when I thought she'd quit and I found cigarettes and I threw them out. I became the adult for a little while. I was 12 years old. I threw her cigarettes in the garbage. 
uh, at 11.30 at night on a Saturday, um, she's waking me up and I'm in big, big trouble. Uh, I, you know, I was trying to help her, trying to save her. Um, <laughs> we have this conversation last night and she says, Greg, there's four vulnerable categories here. The, uh, the unvaccinated, the uh, obese, the elderly, and uh, the immunocompromised. And she's right. And you won't hear one person say that today. And we're failing all those people in those four categories by not telling them they're in more danger. We're not telling them and we need to be telling them the exit path out. I'm lost as to what it is now. I'm absolutely lost. City of Toronto is trying to get to 90% vaccinations. They've wanted this so badly, so badly that the mayor of Toronto wanted to mandate it for five to 11 year olds. What happens when we get to 90%? What have I been saying? We don't know. You don't know. They don't know. We're in an endemic phase here. Our people that run our governments have to acknowledge this. We have to redefine cases. We're going to destroy lives, businesses, all of it. I don't want to doom and gloom this. The last thing I'm doom and gloom about is the actual Omicron itself. Our response to it is going to bury people mentally, financially, physically, emotionally. Those two old dudes I talked about that can't go to the gym anymore. The guy's wife's hanging on by a thread, he says, with her mental health. But she likes to go swim at the gym. She likes to be here. She likes to see uh, one, of her, one of her friends for coffee. We're putting all those people back in a box because we're not willing to talk about what's really happening there. The people that are the most vulnerable to COVID, to Omicron, and we're not willing to talk about an endemic phase that we've got to transfer into. Uh, my next guest is a lawyer. Her, uh, her Twitter statement yesterday was brilliant, and it took off, and she wrote, schools over bars, schools over gyms, schools over concerts. That depends on the artist. Have you seen Sticks? Uh, schools over malls and parties and indoor dining, kids over everything. I want to welcome Caroline Mandel to the show. Caroline, thank you very much for making the time uh, for our audience. Uh, pretty powerful, um, pretty powerful. the world of social media sometimes with your message getting amplified, but you speak for an awful lot of parents, maybe the vast, vast majority. I think that's right. Good morning, Greg. I was I was on the one hand surprised. It's sort of um, a nice illustration of the idea of how a virus spreads to see how that tweet took off. <laughs> and on the other hand, you know, kids don't have a voice in all of this. And parents' voices, I think, have really been missing from the conversation. You know, parents are not a natural um, group who can gather together and hire lobbyists and, you know, have their have their voices and their and their needs taken into consideration at the highest level. Um, frankly, we're too busy to do it. And so I think maybe, you know, sometimes we turn to social media to just get the job done. We are all feeling really anxious. Uh, we can see the writing on the wall about where this might be going in two and a half weeks. Do you think, do you see what's happening, I'm sure, in the States? And you know with the legal process more than me. I might make the case, this is not a pushback towards what you said, I agree with everything, but can I make the case that they've been more adamant and active and protesting in the United States than they have here? Not just about schools being closed, Caroline, but the school conditions, whether it's masks, whether it's no extra, extracurriculars, no matter what it is, I feel like they've been a more vocal lot than we have in Canada. Well, it's certainly true that I think the, you know, the loudest voices get the biggest say. And I am, you know, to be clear, I am absolutely not um, advocating for, um, you know, dropping mask mandates in schools or, or, or anything like that. I, if anything, I think we need to be doing more to keep our schools safe. 
And I was very supportive, for sure, of the first shutdown and even very reluctantly, you know, grudgingly agreed that, um, you know, we did the right thing by not coming back to school after the April break last year. It was avoidable. But then once we found ourselves in it, we really had no choice. This is different. Um, We have we have to make some decisions about what we value. And there are choices to be made. You know, we teach our kids to distinguish between needs and wants. My kid may say they need an iPhone, but they don't need it. They want it. We are, we are always going to make decisions about where we spend, and we hear this from the doctors all the time, where do we spend our social capital? Where do we spend our budget right now? And, you know, I hear you, and I'm really sympathetic to the people who want to keep working out in gyms and want to keep going to, you know, restaurants without capacity limits and want to have their big office holiday parties. But... I think this time it would really make sense to look at the calendar and work backwards from January 3rd instead of looking forwards. What do we need to do Mm. to really make first to open, last to close mean something? Well, maybe that means that teachers are prioritized for third doses. Maybe that means that we flood the system with rapid tests so that any, on any given day, everybody in a school community is essentially given a day pass. They know that that day they are safe to go to school. It's, I'm just bewildered about why we're not doing this. And I wonder if, and I, you know, I, I don't envy the decision makers. They're in a really hard position. But what are they doing to think about the cost to kids and, frankly, to parents and especially to mothers when kids stay home from school. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned it. This is it. lockdowns have affected uh, mothers more than fathers. They just have now. I'd emphasize that's not a great feeling to know that your wife is sidelined or has decided to stay home or she's the one. And it's not a great feeling to be the lone breadwinner. There's pressure there, too. So it, it, it's affects, it affects marriages. It affects relationship. It affects the parent-kid dynamic. And you're bang on. We missed our, we missed our opportunity and I've been critical of the province that we didn't put teachers almost immediately to the front of the line in March and April. When we had a chance potentially to send kids back in June, we didn't take advantage of it once vaccines started. Let me ask how my kids are 15, 13. How old are yours? Mine are 11 and 14. 11 and 14. So, yeah, you're like me then. One elementary school kid and one uh, and one high school kid. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, are you worried this to me, these are nine out of 10 parents I talked to, Caroline. They're worried about restrictions and red tape and the uh, and the rigmarole of the system rather than them coming home and being sick themselves. It's, it's at least nine out of 10. Would you be one of those nine? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I just worry that we are going to, you know, reach for that blunt tool of keeping schools closed because we have a virtual option. You know, let's be clear, Zoom is literally better than nothing and and sort of not better than that. Um, To sit in front of a screen for six, six and a half hours a day and, and, you know, actually learn something, it's not going to happen anymore. The kids, I mean, I can't picture going back to those days. And aren't we lucky we don't have a set? We say, my wife and I say this all the time, we're we're not exactly in a sweet spot. We're losing this time. I'm losing runway. I'm losing my kids' teenage years, and I will lose them to college sooner than I want to. Every parent does that in normal circumstances. But aren't we lucky they're not seven and five? I ache for those people putting kids to learn, like, a, a multiplication on a computer in their bedroom. What are we doing? Think of the kids who are in grade one. They have never had a regular school year. 
Yeah. So can I make the case that we can do this? And I think we can do this without shutting a lot of the other stuff down. But here's what we need. We have to have tests to stay, which has succeeded in many U.S. states. It succeeded before Omicron. And Caroline, I'm a firm believer. I'm yelling it from the rooftops. I think some people are listening. I think many doctors. I'm not the first to come up with the idea, but I want to amplify it. We have to redefine what a case is because every school, yours, mine, everybody listening will be closed January 15th if the threshold is three cases in a school. Omicron's going to hit all of us. For the most part, it is not going to touch children almost exclusively we can't call those cases and shut schools down based on the metrics we've got right now i'm convinced of that i don't know about that that's above my pay grade but what i do know is that the government could make a decision and lock it in that says we're not going to close schools and then work backwards from there to make that happen and however they do that that's that's i think the goal and that's what the that's what the decision making has to has to turn on at this point can i make the case though it's the hardest thing to get right and it's the hardest thing to stay open we're we're fighting the same fight here but i i heard people say in spring of 2020 well golf courses are open and schools are closed yeah yeah one thing's a lot easier to keep open with a lot less collateral damage if something goes wrong so i agree with you it should be the last bastion of our society we close down, but it's the hardest to keep open, isn't it? That's probably true. But even then, can't we maybe distinguish between high schools and elementary schools? I mean, in high schools, you can introduce, uh, you know, I understand why people would be reluctant to mandate uh, vaccines for the 5 to 12 set at this early stage. But for high school students, I mean, my kids' high school has a vaccine mandate. You want to come to school, you have to be fully vaccinated. And of course, those kids aren't going to be able to get third doses. But that's a much safer environment. That that has to be what where we're at in the fall. That has to be where we're at in the fall. And unfortunately, I'm going to lay this. My parents were both teachers. I'm going to lay this right at the doorstep of the unions, right at the doorstep of the school boards. You know, they didn't have the courage to mandate it for their members. Not in time. We've still got people, you know, they, they push back delays. The TDSB did that. And when I, when I read hundreds of TDSB employees that are in the schools, not teaching virtual, aren't vaccinated yet. We got cops vaccinated at a much higher rate than teachers. That's a disgrace to me. That's a disgrace. Yeah, you know, and I think that we, I'll, I'll be I speaking only for myself, I think we have been too accommodating of those loud voices who, you know, don't want to take the vaccine. That is a mm. sort of, by definition, antisocial choice. And if that mm. is the choice that you make, then okay, you can't participate in society right now. Yeah, I know I, that's a very unpopular view in some it, quarters, but that is my view. It's uh, hey, um, someone could be totally agreeing with everything you said and totally agreeing with what I said. And we want to get to the same goals uh, for our teenagers and eventual teenagers. I hope we get to talk again. Let's revisit this because your voice was powerful yesterday. Keep using it. That's all we can do is use our voices now. Thanks, Greg. I want to welcome on the uh, Ontario Liberal leader onto Toronto today. Uh, he always makes time for us, and we always appreciate it. He is Stephen Del Duca. Stephen, it's great to have you on. Thank you again for uh, making the time for our listeners. My pleasure. Thank you for having me back on. Well, how's your uh, let's let's get uh, let's get to the dad stuff. You and I talk about dad stuff. How is uh, Dad Del Duca feeling coming into a very um, ominous next few days? You know, I feel uh, it's been a bit tumultuous for us, a bit up and down. Uh, my older daughter, who's in grade nine, has been fine in her high school. Our younger daughter at her elementary school has had a few ups and downs in her classes in her school. Uh, her class was sent home a couple of weeks ago for a number of days because there was a positive case in the class. And so that was a bit troubling. 
I don't think that makes us unique. I think that's happening in lots of schools, particularly elementary schools across Ontario. We did get our younger daughter her first dose as soon as she was. Uh, we were able to book one for her a few weeks ago. So happy we got that done. I think we're all looking forward to the break, uh, which is going to start in just a few days, obviously. Uh, but it's been it's been a lot. There's been a lot of anxiety for moms and dads out there across Ontario, and, and we feel it too. Can I make the case that much like last fall, pre-vaccination, it was generally speaking a good three and a half months. We thaw, saw things starting to build in December 2020. My worry is now, Stephen, after what I think has been a pretty good three and a half months, and we can make the case, and we might agree, in spite of measures that should be there, in spite of rapid testing, in spite of crowded classrooms, in spite of all that stuff, I think we've had a good three and a half months. Um, I'm worried we're using policies and guidelines and benchmarks to close schools that we were using a year ago, and I don't think we should be. Yeah, I mean, again, with these kinds of things, I think the best the best thing we can do is take the advice of the public health units and uh, and for example, the science table when it comes to this. Um, I think you know, I think that there's so I I think you're right on balance. It's been not as bad as the worst predictions uh, would have had us think uh, a number of weeks or months ago. But I do still believe, and, and I will always believe this, that there are many things that the government could be doing right now to make schools <clears throat> even safer, and not just safer, but also provide the resources and the funding and the support so that, yes, kids are physically healthy, but the learning gaps that have likely emerged, we know have emerged because of covid could actually be filled, whether it's with more special needs professionals or mental health professionals or, again, shrinking the class sizes. So I think you have to look at the whole picture. So on balance, a lot of, you know, the kids are relatively speaking healthy, which is phenomenal news. But I think we still have some major challenges in our publicly funded system and we need more support. So I see this uh, from October 28th. I'll quote you the headline. Kristen Rashawi wrote it, and she's great. So this isn't a journalism question on my part. Oh, she's amazing. But the headline says, test to stay programs coming to Ontario schools to keep kids in class when COVID cases arise. Well, we're just talking anecdotally. My kid uh, sent home from a class from, because one of his two quadmaster cohorts had a posit- one positive case in it. He can't test to stay to return. You, that, that is allowed in Peel region, parents told me. That's allowed in several other regions, but not in the Durham District School Board. So when, I, when that happens, and I'm sure you've heard from many parents saying, I don't get it. My kid has no symptoms. He's fully vaccinated, no less. And he just, he, I, I went and got him a negative test out of uh, um, an abundance of caution. Why can't right. he come back? I'm sure parents are asking you that. I, the headline's not wrong. The journalism's not wrong. But why isn't every board embracing this? Is this a board issue? Well, I don't know. I think I don't think that the guidance from um, from the provincial government has been consistent and has been clear. I know that uh, I know that from time to time, Doug Ford likes to point the finger of blame in the direction of school boards and, and a whole bunch of other people instead of looking in the mirror. But you know, it's I think it's pretty straightforward. If the Minister of Education sends a, a, a letter of direction to the board saying this is the new policy, I think that there's a requirement that they all follow it. To your point about Durham. Here in York Region, when our younger daughter was sent home, her class was uh, was sent home because of, well, we don't know how many cases in the class, but again, mm-hmm. we weren't given the option to, as you put it, test and stay, as they say. I think there's also been a lot of confusion right across Ontario about how people access the rapid tests. I've been calling for these things to be deployed free, accessible now for many, many weeks. Just in the last three days, our daughters were both sent home with the five kits that we were told everybody would get over the holidays. 
And while that's a good thing, I mean, to me, that should have been deployed back earlier in the fall. We've had millions of rapid tests in Ontario for months now. I don't know why we waited until the, you know, the holiday break for these things to start to be deployed in small numbers. To me, that's, to me, that's, that's, that's not really effective enough. So I think there should be a directive across the board from the Minister of Education and from Doug Ford. I think the rapid test should be, again, readily available everywhere and free and accessible and easy to get. So you don't have to jump through hoops or pay, pay $40 to get them. And I think that would put us in a much stronger position. I agree with you. And I think educators should be getting the same amount of tests yeah. that kids get. And they're not. And that, yeah. to me, is wrong. You mentioned the science table earlier. And this is what I hear. And these are the people that are going to vote. They're going to vote for you or they're going to vote for Mr. Ford or they're going to vote for Ms. Horvat. They say to me, the science table is the one element of, of our society that doesn't feel accountable. Politicians say when they get something wrong, I give you full credit. You were out on mandating vaccines for education workers. Andrea Horvath did a quick 180 on that uh, a couple of days later when I think she realized that was the wrong thing. We can debate, are the boards properly enforcing it? Are they advocating it? Are they doing this and doing that? But I got to say, when I go on the air, I can't go to bed at night if I think I got something wrong, um, you know, certainly not maliciously, but I'm going to correct myself if I'm moving something in the wrong direction in messaging. So will you. People say the science table doesn't have to do that. They predict this, predict that. When they're wrong, there isn't much accountability. Um, I want them to be very wrong about this. I worry sometimes that they want to be right, that they dig in their heels. And I think we're going to have a lot of restrictions coming before we know whether or not Omicron is going to overwhelm our healthcare system or be worse than the flu. What would you say to that? Yeah, look, I, I don't I don't look at the science table that way. Like I can certainly understand people's, I guess, impulses and feeling that perhaps they're not accountable and perhaps they haven't gotten everything 100 percent right. But but going back to the accountability piece for a quick second, I mean, you know, the, the science is the science. And I know that sounds like a very trite thing to say, but, you know, they're they're looking at this. They're making their very best uh, predictions or projections based on the information they have. It's been a rapidly evolving and changing set of circumstances and conditions from day one. This is a, you know, it's, an, it's a, a novel coronavirus. It's a new thing. It, it was something that caught the whole world uh, off guard at the very beginning and it's changed so many different ways and so many different so many different times over the over the, the course of the last 20 months uh, I you know I think and having had the chance to get to know some of the people who serve on the science table one person who used to serve on the science table is running for me as a candidate in the Toronto riding uh, you know I, they, they are women and men who have incredible expertise and they are looking at the information, they are looking at the science, and they're giving the very best advice possible to government. In particular, advice that I think understandably errs on the side of caution. And I really do wish, if you think back to earlier times in the pandemic, I really do wish that Doug Ford had more closely listened to the science. Data. I agree. Absolutely. Think, thinking back to February of 2021, when they told him pretty much, don't reopen, and he did. And you know, we, we went you know off a cliff as a, as a, as a province mm. uh, shortly after that. So you know, I don't think I don't think they're perfect. I don't think people expect perfection, but they are literally following the science and, and using the best projections and predictions they can come up with. And yes, it then falls to government to make the decision. But you know, I think I think they're doing remarkable work given the circumstances and given how given how crazy this last twenty months has been. I got a tight amount of time, but um, I got to ask you about you wanted to mandate uh, vaccines for five to eleven. You and I talked about it. It's not something that. I was on board with as many things as I were. I, I don't hear as much discussion about it. Um, 
uh, you know, we've only got 30 percent of five to 11s vaccinated. Yeah. Does that send a strong message to you that it just would have been too much too soon, Stephen? There isn't real world data. There are parents that do believe. And, and if parents don't believe their six year old should get vaccinated and we keep them from school, there's only one person that gets punished. And that's the six year old. How do you view that that caught that thought now? Well, here, you know, I've tried to be really consistent on this from the very beginning. It, it, it did not make a lot of sense to me for me to be able to say that my 12 year old, it, it should be mandatory or required. But a, but a 10 year old, you know, a two year difference or a one year difference that it shouldn't be required. I just felt that that was really that was kind of a really weird way to look at it. I think the numbers are still way, way lower than I'd like them to be. Uh, I don't know for sure. I don't know if that's psychological on the part of parents, like in terms of them just not being sure because kids mm-hmm. are so young. Like, I don't know exactly what's at the root cause of it. I still do believe in the long run the COVID-19 vaccine should be part of the required set of vaccines kids need to be in our publicly funded schools. But right now, what I would much rather do is that we focus on getting that 30% number up higher, much, much higher to protect the kids and to protect the rest of us. I agree. No, I, I and I think it'll get there. I, th- this is what I foresee is high school is getting it done this fall. We may have to wait. We may have to wait till January 2023. Like you said, there's. There's a lot of moving pieces here, but I'm sure that it will become one of those consistent vaccinations because this thing is endemic. I'd also like public health officials to say that. And I want politicians like yourself to say that this is we're not stamping this out. We're not eliminating this virus. Yeah, look, I think look, look what's just happened in the last couple of weeks and now discussions. Everybody uh, uh, gravely concerned over Omicron, which makes a lot of sense to be concerned so I think you're right. We this is going to be in some in some shape or form. This is going to be with us mm. for a very long time. Uh, we do need to listen to the best possible advice, and we do need our leaders, including Doug Ford, to be responsible and competent, and make some tough decisions to get us yeah. through the worst of these moments. I hear that. Thank you so much for the time. Happy holidays. If I don't talk to you before uh, the, the you know uh, the, the holiday season, and I hope you and your family stay safe over those two weeks. And I hope we're all back in school in January. That's the biggest thing on my mind right now. Thank you for the time. I agree. Agreed. Thank you. You as well. Take care. Sabina Vohra-Miller is a pharmacologist, and she joins us for our weekly visit. I laid a lot out there. Uh, Feel free to react to any of it. But, yeah, we're we're really, you know, I felt like we were on such more solid footing about what to do, where we were going, all that stuff a month ago than we are right now. Yeah, I mean, I I won't lie. The last couple of weeks have been, um, you know, not exactly where we wanted to be. Um, We were really hoping that this is probably the tail end of the pandemic, and that's clearly not the case right now. But I fully agree with you. I think what we're seeing um, pan out in the last couple of weeks is you have those who are the sensationalizers, you know, where Omicron's, you know, completely fadeless, and the other end, you have the minimizers that basically say, no big deal with this, let's keep going on. Really, the truth is somewhere in the middle, um, and, and I think that, you know, that's where probably one of our public health messaging has not been very strong, right? And I, when, I, when I talk about communication, for me, it's always three things. First of all, you tell people what's going on mm-hmm. without sensationalizing it. All right, so we're seeing that Omicron is has a growth advantage. It it is a lot more transmissible. We don't know what it's doing with severe illness, but most likely severe illness is going to be prevented. Why does it matter? Okay, so we're having issues with hospital capacity, right? If you have more cases, you have more hospitalizations. And what is that going to be for things like elective surgeries? What is it going to be like for schools and long-term care homes? And then what can people do about it, right? That is the real important part that a lot of us miss when you're talking about Omicron. Okay, we have strategies that we can use today 
to try and curb the spread of Omicron. So let people know what are some of these things as opposed to, you know, I think what we end up doing is making this big deal about it and not really telling people what they can do. Um, and so that's really what we should be focusing on. I think you nailed it. I agree 100 percent with you. And and I'm no I've talked to other doctors. I, I feel like the only people I can put on anymore. I, 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 I'm not a fan of alarmism. It's never time to panic. Uh, you have to react accordingly. You mm-hmm. when we run all run around like Chicken Little, it helps nobody um, in public health or politicians, people that do what you do, people that do what I do. So we're in for a big wave. We absolutely are. But as you just laid out, we kind of know more than we we knew a year ago, certainly 18 months ago, how we can blunt it and how we can, uh, you know, how we can push it aside. Absolutely. That's exactly it. I mean, we have all the tools in our toolbox. It just means we have to be proactive about it. We can dither. This is not the time where we sit and ponder about, you know, what's going to happen because we're seeing what's happening in other countries. Um, and we just need to be proactive and take these measures in place so that we're preventing, you know, um, you know, things like lockdowns and, and school shutdowns, which are unfortunately already occurring right now. So this is where I, I conversed with my mom last night and uh, I'm giving her way too much airtime. I'm probably going to have to send her a check or something. I've talked about her too much on the show today, Sabina. But um, she's such a practical person. And uh, and I said, because we played a clip yesterday from Good Morning Britain with there being a, a, uh, a death in the UK um, of somebody testing positive for Omicron. And I said, wouldn't you want to know as much about that person as possible? And that's where I think we've been cautious. I think we've been guarded. We sure have done it with uh, with teenagers and kids. And, and I think we should have. I, you know, I'm not I'm not changing a, a, a 180, but I think I think there's a slight pivot to where we need our public health officials to tell us who is getting sick from this. It guides every decision we might make. And I laid out those vulnerable groups that that I discussed with her last night. Those are the people that need the most information. They need the most information imaginable about what this is over the next several weeks. And I worry we don't give it to them. Yeah, I mean, I think my issue with that really is that, you know, people don't live in, in bubbles, right? And so even if the people who are maybe greatly impacted um, are told that, yeah, you're at higher risk, um, the people around them may not be actually uh, changing their uh, behaviors, um, you know, to actually keep those people protected. So, I mean, I think that when you make these recommendations, often can't be at the individual level. It has to be at the population level to actually have that impact that we're seeing, right? And so, like, for right now, I think collectively we need to reduce our contacts. And it's not just people who may be immunocompromised or people who may have high-risk factors. In fact, it means all of us need to collectively reduce our contacts and avoid large gatherings, avoid being unmasked indoors and, you know, and things like professional sporting events, et cetera. And I think this has, this has to be collective, though. I think it does. I think it does. But wouldn't I, couldn't I make the case that you would give different advice to a 70-year-old than you would an 18-year-old? You wouldn't want either of them at a party of 40 people. I gotcha. But I do think there are safer things to do outside of those risk groups without reducing socialization, without creating isolation, without, as we, we went through last year, closing, you know, small mm-hmm. businesses and whatnot. I, I, I agree with you. And, and policies are wonderful to lay out. But, you know, and I know, unfortunately, you know, and I know way too many people that are, quote unquote, done with this. I can't talk them into not being done with it, um, but they exist. And I don't know how we navigate that. You know, and I think that the whole concept of risk buckets are really interesting because, I mean, the one thing I've been telling people is that, look, you know, the holidays are approaching. Where do you want to put all of your risk eggs into? Which bucket is it? Is it 
you know, going to a Raptors game or would it be, you know, spending time with your family? And so I think one of my recommendations would be save up all of your risk into things that are really meaningful and really impactful for you. And that could be a small gathering with your family over the Mm -hmm. holidays. Um, So I definitely think that you're right that, you know, different age groups, different um, populations have to look at it in a different way. Um, But using that risk bucket concept, I think, would make make it very easy for people Mm -hmm. to to pick and choose what they should be engaging in right now as we head into a holiday. A hundred percent. And though, yeah, and you're right. And I think we'd agree there. Those are individual calls. They're household calls. They're family calls. They're cohort calls. Absolutely. And and you got to weigh. You got to weigh risk benefit on everything. Now, I'd ask you this about vaccines. To me, here's where we are with it. I'm vaccinated. Everybody around me is vaccinated. My whole family, I'm getting a booster, all that stuff. Here's here's where I think I, I wonder where we go with this. And we and and we have to we probably have to pick a road as a society. The justification to me, to me, for mass vaccination, you could halt covid spread, including to those who couldn't get a vaccine, including our kids. So this made sense as a basis for policy. Now, it appears to me that if you get vaccinated, you're protecting yourself from the worst of covid. But but the numbers aren't lying right now with cases. We we aren't able to protect others around us as much as we thought for more than a small period of time. So you should get vaccinated for yourself. I don't know how public health corrals that information and uh, and and deals with. I don't think a strategy changes. The goal is still get vaccinated, but I I, I worry there will be dissent and uh, and you know more disbelief about it if we're not honest with people about what it does and what what we thought it might do that it's not necessarily doing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's also important to remember that, you know, it's, it's, even vaccines that even for, for instance, polio vaccines, right, they don't necessarily, um, they're not necessarily neutralizing in the sense that they actually prevent any spread of, of, um, of, of the disease, right. And I think that we probably put a bit too much emphasis on the whole transmission aspect, but really the purpose of the vaccine is to prevent severe illness. Mm-hmm. And that it's doing a beautiful job off. And I think even with transmission, it wasn't even the primary endpoints of any of the clinical trials, right? That's a nice benefit to have, but it's not, that's the primary reason why we actually vaccinate. Um, <clears throat> and I, I think with Delta, we were in a better position to actually have vaccinations um, be a really good stopgap in terms of even transmitting, but with Omicron, all bets are off on that. So absolutely, I agree, the messaging has to change, but I think it's also important to remember that transmissibility is never one of the reasons why we vaccinate. You know, it's it's about preventing severe illness, and we see that even with other vaccinations, and this is not like a, you know, a one-off vaccination per se. Yeah, and I that, that messaging is exactly what I hope, uh, you know, uh, can be, you know, transferred to the public, and hey, I wish 36 million people were hearing our, our voices right now. It might not be that much. We'll, we'll estimate it later on. I love our conversations. Thank you very much, and, and keep doing what you're doing. I think it's important. Thank you for the time. Thanks for having me. Okay, Sheba, what were the holiday comments? Because tomorrow is supposed to be your last day of work for a while, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. It is. Um, and now we have a travel ban coming. I'm not going anywhere fancy. We're going to go skiing, staying, you know, going cross province. We're supposed to go on a ski trip. Uh, let's see what today's announcement is. Although you and I had a, a talk. See, you're in just like you're in, you know, a lot of Ontarians' heads, your voice. You're in my <laughs> No, you're in my head too. I'm I'm questioning now, regardless of what they say. Um how long are you are we gonna be controlled? And sure, I wanna do what's safe, I wanna do what's best for my family, what's best for the public, but enough is enough. There are, are I'm noticing a lot of uh 
political agendas, possibly. Let me play. Let's play the clip. I want to see if you, I want you to be able to um, to react to this clip because just you saying that I, I was going to leave it till after uh, six thirty, but I think it's worth playing now. You know, I like to grab a clip or two from uh, the fine show Good Morning Britain. I mean, I can't wait for Piers Morgan to return. I think he's a very oh. uh, open minded, <laughs> yeah, uh, cent- central. Like he just treats everybody as equals. I think. Let's bring it. But again, ratings have slipped since he's uh, been there. But this is Grant Shapps responding. That's a real name. He's the transport secretary in Boris Johnson's government. And he gets asked by the the excellent host, Adil Ray. Adil Ray is a brilliant host. He says, we're hearing from people that they're not going to comply with what you lay out. This is a member of the UK government getting kind of put on the spot here. So I like this uh, from Good Morning Britain this morning. My family will not be compromising our festivities. John and Twitter, they had Christmas parties when we were locked in our houses. We will, we will too. I mean, there's a real feeling out there that people will just do whatever they want to do. Do you understand how serious this is, that people aren't going to listen to the government anymore? The authority has gone, don't you well, think? Look, we don't, we don't, we don't uh, achieve anything by doing things which harm our loved ones, potentially, uh, or ourselves, and so, which is why uh, I don't actually fully recognise the picture you're painting. For a start, we're not asking people to cancel uh, Christmas this year. We're in a vastly better position. Why? Because this government has invested in lateral flow tests. No other country in the world that, that I know of uh, provides them free of charge. No other major economy provides them free of charge. We've got more uh, vaccinations and now booster vaccinations already in over 40% of people's arms than any other country. I don't know of any other country that has managed to roll out a booster programme uh, like this. Um, so these are the things which are going to protect people. We'll and it's ha- one of the reasons why, almost uniquely actually, we've not had to um, ask people to curtail their Christmas activities. So there's, there's no there's okay. no reason for people well, to do that. So that's Transport Secretary Grant Shapps in the UK, Adil Ray uh, quizzing him. Sheev, it's a different. There's a little bit of different nuance in the UK, right? Because they're Boris Johnson and his cabinet. It was revealed. Well, they had a giant party last year after they told everybody <laughs> stay in place. Um, it's not. It's sort of the Rod Phillips principle we dealt with here. Um, oh, I'm very much looking forward to that. By the way, seeing which right there will be the some. Oh, I can't wait to see who, which politicians are, are flying all over the world over the holidays and getting caught for it. Yeah, as if there's going to be zero of them. It's just a question of how many and where they are. Um, and, and that's true, actually. The UK's done much, much better getting boosters out to the general population than we have. They've got 40% plus to the general population. We don't even have 35% of 70 plus boosted. It's a mm. massive problem uh, in Ontario right now. But when you hear when you hear that question... Do you feel that around you, that people just know um, if they feel their family's safe, if they feel their greatest danger is over, uh, they're not going to comply? Absolutely. People are fed up. Uh, we're tired. We're fed up. We want to go on with our lives. Look, it's an, I feel like it's an endemic because it just feels like it's never ending. This is it. We have to learn to live with COVID. We know that this new variant, well, so far, we know this new variant isn't deadly Right. Yeah. Yeah. I would. It's, just, it, it's less. It's less harmful. No doubt about it. Mild symptoms, and you go on with your lives. We also have to protect our most vulnerable in society. So I think if we all focus on that, I think we should just continue living life. For me personally, I have made a decision to put mental health first. So I know who I should be staying away from, who is vulnerable, and I'm going to put my mental health and my family's mental health, especially my children, if schools get canceled. My everybody's mental health is first, and that's going to be that's what I'm going into the new year with. Here's, that attitude. Here's how I've, I've I, I I like that, and here's how I view it. You can respond by the way uh, to what Shiva just said two eight nine nine seven five one six forty on text two eight nine 
Um, I cannot support uh, widespread. I think I think when you ban people from crossing borders, that's that's an emergency measure. I do think that. And and I think that's too heavy handed when the risks uh, are manageable. And what I mean by that is I remember the times during this pandemic, Sheba, that I didn't know how to manage the risks. It was certainly in the first few months. It was probably around last Christmas when none of us were vaccinated. Um, and so there were times when the risks weren't manageable. I feel fully in control and confident in managing my risks right now. And I'm willing to sign any document whatsoever that says that. Um, so when when people know how to manage their risks, there's no justification for emergency measures. There's no, it literally it's tearing our society apart. The diff- oh, and and, and it, it's got to stop. It does. I I don't know what more to say beyond that. And I think you can you're in the same boat as me that I have done everything my government has asked me to do everything. I've followed all of the rules and look where I am now. Where has it gotten me? Where has it gotten me? I have listened to you. I have isolated. I have I haven't seen I went months without seeing my family and my friends. I was homeschooling my four kids while working full time. I listened to you. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't go out to eat. I got double vaccinated. And where has that gotten me? I'm waiting yeah. for my booster. What more can I do? You guys keep, I feel like we're just moving. Yeah. Nothing has changed and they're not doing anything to make things change. And if they lock people down, if they lock people down in any context whatsoever, and I'm, ta- I'm even talking about closing gyms. I'm, e- I'm, I'm talking about schools. I'm talking about gyms. I'm talking about places where people could actually meet up in the next few months who need that socialization. I'm talking about widows. I'm talking about, uh, you know, for, for, for only children, they'll need to see other children. If you, if that ends up happening, the trust is irretrievably broken. Why would anyone get a booster shot to be locked down? Why would anyone who hasn't considered vaccination? That's it. We we've lost this battle. We've absolutely, we can't, we can only plea with passion so much to consider vaccination. And then people say, what do I get? What will happen to me if I get vaccinated? This is what you'll get. Your frustration, my frustration, Dave's frustration, Gord's frustration, on and on and on. There's only, but, one, there's only one way this goes. And I, I hate saying it. I hate saying it. But they've got to let people protect the most vulnerable and manage these risks on their own, almost entirely by household and by individual. I agree with you for once. Uh, and let's see. Let's see. Well, it's early in the morning. I don't. I you know. I, we still have a whole show to go. A whole show Sorry, to go. I'll be yelling at you by the end of the show. But I'm interested to hear what the prime minister has to say today. Yeah, yeah, I'd say that's true. Thanks so much for listening to Toronto today. Always appreciate it. Myself, Shiva Siddiqui, Dave Bradley, Gord Rennie. We're working hard for you. Uh, we're doing everything we can to give you the best product every single morning or where you are right now at your time of day. Thank you again for listening. Please do spread the word. And we appreciate it. Have a great Wednesday. Speak to you live on the radio tomorrow morning, 530 to 9 on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.